Hello and welcome to the Wabi Sabi series podcast, unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, a corporate exec turned author who has recently written a series of books about topics we don't often talk about. Things like death, grief, not having kids, and the unexplained power doctors often wield over us. Apparently, some of my books have made some people feel a little uncomfortable, but I felt that I wanted to have far more conversations around weird, wonderful, and sometimes taboo topics. So I reached out to some interesting people and asked them just one question. If there is one topic that you'd love society to talk more about, what would it be and why? And what they've shared with me has been amazing. So let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. This government is currently practicing bad business. And people like us, who are business brains, I think need to get down there and go, no, this needs to stop. My guest today is a successful business leader, active social commentator and activist. Kylie Tink believes that challenges cannot and should not be ignored. She has been a driving force behind a number of initiatives that have shaped the Australian community for the better. Kylie is a passionate believer that each of us can play an important role in addressing the challenges facing our society. Being told something can't be done or shouldn't be considered or discussed has more often than not motivated her to ask why not and to play her part in the push for positive change. Kylie has been a CEO, managing director, business owner, board director and strategic advisor. For the past 30 years, Kylie has worked in all sectors, government, commercial and not-for-profit, helping to drive sustainable, positive change. Her capacity to quickly come to grips with business and stakeholder challenges has seen her not only champion the development of several iconic community campaigns, including the Sydney Pink Test, but has ultimately resulted in the achievement of a number of sustainable, positive social changes. From her current work with organisations assisting vulnerable young Australians, through to the role she played as CEO at the McGrath Foundation to establish the organisation and exponentially expand its breast care nurse network, to her most recent role as CEO of Camp Quality, where she was challenged to bring the organisation into the 21st century. Kylie's commitment to never settling for the status quo has meant she is widely recognised as a formidable change agent. With a proven track record for building and inspiring high-performing teams, Kylie's ultimate motivation is simple – to leave the world a better place than I found it. Kylie and I met many years ago under the stars in the outback at an incredible dinner in Uluru. We had so much in common and we've been great mates ever since. Kylie called me before she went public to let me know that she was putting a hand in the ring to join politics. I challenged her on whether she was sure she wanted to do it. This country does not have a great political landscape after all and female politicians are somewhat marginalised. So I asked her, why would you willingly put yourself and your children into that incredibly tough environment? Her response gave me lots to think about, and that's why I wanted to get her on the show to chat about this really interesting topic that might make you put more thought into next time you vote. Because here in Australia, whilst it's mandatory, many people I talk about don't really put as much thought into it that we should. So Kylie, it's fantastic to have you on the show and I can't wait to see where this conversation takes us. Welcome. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm excited to be here. To control you and I talking and uh, chatting together, this is going to be fun because our conversations normally uh, go all over the place. But 
Let's see if I can rein you in today or you can rein me in either way. But uh, if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It's actually probably one of the the biggest kind of no-goes at the moment still, but I wish we would talk about politics. Well, I mean, that's interesting because it is one of the things that, you know, I think most of us have been taught not to talk about. So why do you feel as a nation we need to talk about politics more? Yeah, well, I think to your point, Michelle, you know, growing up, there were a number of things that you just, you didn't talk about. And that was, you know, everything from your intimate life through to the way you use money and religion was always another one. But I clearly remember as a kid being told you don't discuss politics because it just ends in tears. And I think, to be honest, probably for much of my life, that's how I've lived, you know, like I've, I've, worked, as you know, in advocacy for over 30 odd years. So I've probably been working around the fringes of government for most of my life, trying to affect change when it comes to public policy or community service provision. But I'd never seriously considered entering politics. And I never seriously considered that it was a conversation that, you know, I would have with um, friends and family. And then it was like this, this thing happened to me last year in September, and this part of my brain just got triggered. And I thought, oh, this is what it means to have a political kind of lightning rod. And, you know, okay, now what do I, what do I do with this? Because when that lightning rod first hit, I still wasn't thinking I'd go into politics. I just knew something was wrong. Something felt wrong to me. And when you say something felt wrong about the political environment here in Australia, is that what, can you be a bit more specific about that for me? Yeah, definitely. So, um, as we just talked about, I've worked pretty much nonstop for about 30 years. And last year I took a year off to be around for my son a bit more. So I have three kids, an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. And my 18-year-old was doing his HSC. So I didn't expect the rest of the world to stop with COVID, but it did. <laughs> but what it kind of meant is that I, for the first time in my life, I had some space to kind of be able to think a little bit more broadly and not just kind of go into that survival mode of day to day. And um, it was September last year. And I remember I was, I can't remember what I was working on. I think I was writing and I saw this headline, this news headline came up through my news feeds, which basically said that the Prime Minister had come out and declared that if the New South Wales government wouldn't fund a new gas fire um, power station here in New South Wales, then the federal government would fund it. And from the minute I sort of read the headline, I thought, hang on, there's something not right in that. But I couldn't really put my finger on it. I just knew that it felt really wrong that one group of people who are very close to how we live and what we do. So the the New South Wales state government knows how New South Wales runs and they've said, no, this is a bad decision for all sorts of reasons. Yet our federal government was coming over the top of it and saying, well, we don't care. We're going to do it anyway, whether you like it or not. And so it was sitting really uncomfortably with me, but I still couldn't put my finger on it. And then the next day I heard Michael Cannon-Brooks from Atlassian did an interview and he came out and he basically said, for our Prime Minister to say that to our nation is the equivalent of me coming to work today and telling all of my programmers they must work with only abacuses all day. And, Michelle, it was like this bit in my brain just went, that's it. This is bad business. This isn't politics anymore. This is actually bad business. And I think my business brain suddenly started buzzing going, well, this can't happen. You know, it doesn't matter that this entity has the title of government. This is a bad business decision. So 
you know, what can I do about this? And so I started looking into what is the relationship between the Australian government and um, the fossil fuel industry. I started looking into what was our relationship with our international context, what commitments had we made, what hadn't we made. And the further I got in, the more concerned I became that there was this one-sided discussion happening and it wasn't being balanced out. You know, like the fossil fuel industry is a very sophisticated, very long surviving industry. You know, we're talking about a hundred years of experience here in this industry and they've done a very good job of developing it. You know, I think Australia is relatively internationally known. We're kind of known for digging. That's one of the things we do really well. We dig. The more I looked into it, the more I just felt that the other side of the discussion, which was how do we create an economy which is actually forward focused and actually is looking at sustainable and renewable energy options as the way forward just wasn't having an equal share of voice at that national level so originally I started looking at whether I could create some sort of alliance where actually it was amping up the volume behind renewable and sustainable energies and giving those technologies the same potential access at the government level. So, you know, our COVID recovery committee <laughs> last year was, I think everybody knows, quite famously led by somebody who had previously been an executive at the Australian Gas Council. So it's not surprising that then when a national COVID recovery plan is released, it comes out as a gas-led recovery. You know, I thought that was really ironic. And I thought, well, what would happen if we'd actually had somebody who was from, used to be the head of the Sustainable and Renewable Energy Council, as opposed to the Gas Council? Would it have been different recommendations? And so I was kind of digging around in that space when um, a friend then actually suggested to me, you know, would I be interested in, in entering politics? And I initially laughed and because, again, this is a conversation you don't have, yeah? And I was like, what? Are you serious? And she's like, yeah, I think you'd be really good at it. If you have a topic burning inside you that you'd love to talk more about and have a conversation with me, I'd love to hear from you. So drop me a line at hello at wabisabiseries.com. Let's head back to the chat. Our constitution, when it was first created, was not created for party politics. So there were no political parties when our constitution was written back in 1901. So every member of the House in 1901 was an independent. And their sole job being in that House was to represent the community that had sent them there. So over time, though, systems have moved and people have tried to control a system that, you know, may have been slightly more chaotic. And what we've seen is the emergence of these things called political parties in Australia. And you fast forward to where we are today as a nation, and fundamentally we have, you know, two major parties that, you know, for whatever period of time take turns in being at the table, the lead of the table, but what's interesting is when you become a member of those parties, you're sent there by your community. So in my case, it's, you know, North Sydney. In your case, it would be Northern Beaches. So you're sent there by a community. But once you get there, because you're a member of the party, you have basically undertaken that your vote will always express the wishes of the party, not your community. And that, that's really interesting. I think people don't understand just that little brief description you've given, though, is so simple, but actually for people to understand how the political sphere works, because you're absolutely right, most people don't understand it. 
No. And I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting is that we meet these people in our community, our members, like the people, whether it's at a council level, a state level or a federal level, you meet these people, you talk to them as a human, which is so fundamentally important. So you get a really good sense of their opinions. I think, you know, most people choose to vote with somebody because they feel aligned with them. There's something that resonates with them. But then the crazy thing about our political system is once you take that person out of that community environment and drop them wherever they're landing, depending on which party they're a part of, they become a different person. It's disingenuous. And to be honest, I don't, I don't know how the politicians themselves live in that space where, you know, and for me, so going right back to your first question, had I ever been asked? Yes, I'd been asked once before. But when I'd really dug under it, I was like, I can't be someone who would go be given a vote, be given the opportunity to go into a house, but then basically once I get there, agree that I'm not going to debate the matters in public and that I'm just going to toe the line. Zali Stegall shared a really fascinating story with me recently and because even she was surprised when she got to Canberra because she, for her first house sitting, so in the House of Reps, she went to go into the chamber for the first time, very excited, and she could see the two major parties were streaming in and as they were streaming in, there was a person standing at the door giving them a page. And so Zali walks along and she goes, oh, one of those for me. <laughs> And both these people on either side looked at her like with very strange look at their face and went, no. And she said, well, what are they? And they went, these are the voting instructions. So these are the voting instructions for our members today on how our party wants them to vote on all of the legislative matters that are coming before the House today. And so Zali's like, but don't they have their own vote? And they're like, no, 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 this is what we've agreed as a party. This is how we're going to vote today. And so I, and Zali was like, it was like this light bulb moment even for her and that's somebody who had run to get to Canberra and didn't realise what was going on until she actually got there. So how does it work then? You as an independent and Zali as independents can have completely different opposing views. 100%. So a true independent is somebody whose policy positions and the arguments that they take and make in Canberra are the arguments that their community want them to make. So, you know, in my case, I know across the North Sydney electorate, the things that matter to the majority of people here in North Sydney are the action or inaction around climate, our action or inaction around embracing a forward-focused economy rather than looking in the rearview mirror, definite push for greater integrity, at the federal level of government, and then equality, and whether that's gender equality or First Nations equality or the way we treat asylum seekers, they're the four things that people, when you ask them to just think of what matters in their life, they come up head and shoulders above so many other things. Amongst younger voters, we have other issues, including housing affordability and, you know, wage progress and stuff. But And so they are also sort of playing across the community. But really interestingly, what you then, if you kind of take yourself back and go, okay, my vote matters. So the really beautiful thing about a democracy, Michelle, is that your vote and my vote are 100% equal. Neither of us have got more power than the other. So the question becomes, I think for us, as we think about that, it's like, how would we want our vote to then be expressed in a different location, whether that's at a council level, a state level or a federal level. And I think if you become really conscious of that, it's actually a really interesting discussion to put yourself through and to really start looking at, oh, okay, so I've, in my case, I delegated my vote to a gentleman called Trent Zimmerman here in North Sydney and I'd done that 
because when I'd heard him talk, he talked about the importance of recognising climate as a priority. And to be honest, that was the main reason I gave Trent Zimmerman my vote last last election. But then when I actually took the time to go back and look at his voting record just in this last 12 months after I had this brain snap back in September, what I found was he was my local member and his voting record was exactly the same as Barnaby Joyce's, who is probably one of the greatest climate sceptics in our country at the moment and one of the biggest barriers to progress. And I, I was like, what? How does this work? So then I dug deeper and Trent Zimmerman may have argued that, you know, it's important we protect the Great Barrier Reef and we need to put more money about it. But when I looked at his voting record, he'd voted against legislation. The party, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that point. is that that party mm. politics, I think as as people, if we can stand up and actually call that out and say, you know what, the party's not serving us anymore. The party is serving itself. So party politics, in my observation, and the closer I get to it, the more firm I become in the belief. Party politics is about power. It's about ambition. And it's actually frequently incredibly arrogant because it has this mindset that, well, you've put me here, you've delegated your vote to me, and now you can just wait until the next federal election to have any say in the way this country is being developed because you delegated to me. So it's like a proxy. We gave them our proxy. And I think if you put it like in a business sense, right, to, for people to understand that, it's like you and I have both been CEOs of companies. So we're appointed as a CEO. And so therein lie we've got, let's say, we've got a four-year or a five-year contract. And so we're, we're seen as untouchable. So no matter what decisions we make on a daily basis, no matter whether the business is going well or not, it doesn't matter what the shareholders think, we cannot be sacked regardless of our behaviour until that four- or five-year term is up. That's the kind of equivalent, right? which does not make sense at all. And this is the thing that's pissed me off through the whole entire COVID stuff was I said it to someone a while ago. It was like, if Morrison was a CEO of a company and we as the you know shareholders, like 18 months that this has been running, we've had a problem and it's called COVID, but he's been doing the same thing and nothing fundamentally has been changing. He would have been sacked by now. Like, but no, that's fine. He's just plodding along and things weren't changing. It was so frustrating to me because I always, like you, I look at things from an economic, you know, business aspect. Does it make sense? Does it not? Crazy shit, right? Crazy. And I think for me, that's what politics has become. Like it's bad business. Let's take that climate space, okay, because I, I think it's not just a North Sydney issue. I think we are finally at the point where our country is, you know, everybody is on board, we need to do something and we need to do something incredibly quickly. So up until the campaign launch for myself, which was about four weeks ago, we were in a situation in this country where we do not, we are one of the only developed nations in the world who has not committed to net zero by 2050. Now, net zero by 2050 has been hanging around for the last three years. You know, so Australia has been prevaricating and kicking it down the pipeline and whatever else. And, you know, and so when I launched, when we launched our campaign, one of the things we came out and said is enough's enough. You know, like how can we have these moderate Liberal Party members who are in the dominant party in the House saying they're for climate and saying they're trying to get a change, yet the government is not changing. It is not moving. So therefore that voice is ineffective at that level. 
Within three days of my announcement as an independent, basically coming out and saying only an independent can make this much noise and we need to do it, <laughs> within three days, the moderate liberals had organised and did a leaflet drop across all of their electorates to say, this is what the Liberal Party has done when it comes to climate action. You know, we've got solar panels, we've got, um, we're looking at this and and it was just complete greenwash. Like it was just this complete, okay. But what it said to me immediately is they were listening. And what happened then was a guy called Dave Sharma, who lives over in the eastern suburbs, again, moderate liberal, basically stood up and did this press conference and said, no, no, well, you know, I think the federal government must commit to, we have to be 75% emissions reduction by 2035. And we've been arguing for that internally and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was so interesting for me because then I looked back in and I thought, man, okay, there's two ways to take this. The first is, isn't it great to see them finally standing up and making that noise that we sent them there to make three years ago? So we're now in the last you know, seven months of their term and this stuff has not been happening. But seven months to the finish line, so we're in the last 10 metres on this 100-metre sprint, all of a sudden these people we sent there three years ago are really starting to throw their toys out of the cot. And the thought that really hit me was, isn't it interesting that it took my courage as an independent to stand up for them to actually go, oh, I'm going to borrow something of what she said now because actually she said it and the community actually went, oh, she knows what she's talking about. Okay, well, we better start talking the way the community wants us to talk. So we have the moderate liberals come out. We then have Scott Morrison manages to get to America. He can't get to Glasgow, but he manages to get to America for a meeting. He suddenly comes out and says, oh, well, yes, you know, we're joining this pact. And of course, Australia is going to get to net zero by 2050. It's still not in writing anywhere, but he's now saying, yes, we want to get to net zero by 2050. You then have our treasurer comes out and does this video no, no interaction whatsoever, but basically talks to us all like actually a bit like the old housewife, you know, like I think you all need to go and take an aspirin and lie down because of course we want, we want to get to net zero by 2050, you know, like let's be really clear here. If we don't get to net zero quickly, we're going to miss out on the, you're right, we will miss out on the economic, we will miss out of billions of dollars of investments and thousands of jobs, but you just need to go and take an aspirin because we've always been moving towards that direction. And so me and my little world goes, oh, this is great, we have, you know, this is good, okay, well, they're listening, we're starting to get the right noises, we'll just keep pushing and keep pushing. And then this week, we've had Susan Lay approve new coal mining projects that were not previously approved. We've had new gas exploration <laughs> licences issued. And Matt Canavan from the National Party yesterday came out and suggested that because the banks are no longer funding, they're not providing funding anymore to fossil fuel projects because fossil fuels do not make good business sense anymore. So the banks will not lend them money. Um, many of the projects, if we built a new gas power plant, which is what the federal government wants to do. If we build that in the next six years, we will not realise the depreciation on that asset before we stop using it. It's a bad business decision. But so Matt Canavan's solution to that was, um, well, if the banks won't fund it, the federal government should. Holy shit. I just sat there and went, hang on, buddy, that's my money. Like, and to your point, Michelle, we've worked in business. You know, like there are fundamentals when it comes to running a business and making business decisions. I hate to repeat the phrase, but this government is currently practicing bad business. And 
people like us who are business brains, I think, need to get down there and go, no, this needs to stop. To your point, it's our money. And I think we don't we don't look at it that way, right? You know, we, we forget that actually as taxpayers, we are funding these guys as the CEOs of this business called the state or the country, and we're allowing them to waste our money on a daily basis. And, you know, I think the whole point that you're talking about is actually get better educated, understand politics more, understand why your vote matters. And I think it's a really vital point. So, I mean, that stuff just infuriates me. And I know that, you know, I've been asked to get into politics probably four or five times. And I'm like, you, there's no bloody way I'm going near it. <laughs> probably because I'm too outspoken. I think I'd be in the press too much. Whereas you're far more level-headed. But how did you turn that? I kind of want to get into that. How did you turn that? you know, I'm feisty and I'm cranky about what's going on. And equally to you, as you said, you had that turning point. What was the catalyst then that said, yes, I want to do this? Because you and I had a conversation when you first told me and I was like, are you sure? You know, (laughs) like the nervousness around being in the public eye because the political environment in this country, I mean, let's look at all the stuff that's been happening in the highest office of power and the horrendous, you know, sexual Abuse, yeah, all the different things. Yep. Yes, correct. All that stuff infuriates me, if, if not makes me feel sick. You know, what are the things that we can do, I mean, to change that sort of stuff? But why is it that you wanted to get into that? You know, you weren't the only friend who went WTF. <laughs> I think I've, I told you earlier, I've repurposed that phrase now. I now I have a new phrase, hashtag WTFG, which actually stands for what the federal government. <laughs> because I just I love think it. we have to call them out. What is really interesting for me is when I was offered the opportunity to run as an independent, so it's important that, you know, in my area there was a group already established, a group of amazing people, very ordinary people like you and me, who had just decided the party system isn't serving this electorate. So they set up this entity called North Sydney's Independent. And the only job that entity had was to go out and find a candidate that would stand as an independent for this electorate and then help that candidate maintain momentum so it was those guys found me so after my friend asked me if I'd be interested she contacted them and said I think I've got someone you should talk to but what was really interesting in the process for me is very quickly on in the conversations with them I thought yes this is what I need to be doing and actually a massive driver of me making that decision I think was my fundamental business brain that said when business is not doing well, you need your executives to stand up and come up with solutions. So everything you've just said is 100% true about our federal government environment, particularly. We, we don't have an integrity commission down there. There's nobody watching government at the moment. There's no HR department at government. There's really basic things that you and I, and I'm sure everybody else listening on this call, when you go to work, you just expect to see things in place at the, at, in the workplace. They don't exist in Canberra. But I think for me, the thing that really hit me is that, well, I could sit on the outside and go, it's really bad they don't exist and, you know, I don't like that and I would never go there because they don't exist. Or I could look at it and go, it's really bad those things don't exist. I better go down there and see if I can fix that in some way, shape or fashion. And, you know, for me, I'm very pragmatic when it comes to the experience I expect to have in politics. I think it's going to be... uh, one of the most testing times in my life. 
But actually, I'm excited by the opportunity because I actually think if I can get there and start to advocate around some of these areas and do whatever little bit I can do, hopefully it means that maybe the next woman who gets approached to run in Canberra. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) In the next term, when I come back to you and say, Michelle, are you sure you don't want to run in politics? You know, you may be more inclined to say, actually, I'm comfortable with that now. I can see the changes that are happening. Because I I do think right, right back in my very romantic little brain, I don't think there should be any higher service to your community than being given the opportunity to go somewhere and speak for them. I mean, that's an incredibly humbling and amazing thing to be able to do. And I just think, wouldn't it be amazing if actually we were able to turn our political system and our political framework back around so that people were inspired by it, that they did want to be part of it, that they saw it as something positive to be doing rather than it being seen, I think at the moment, it's a bit like an episode of The Muppets, you know, like you've got your cabinet executive sitting up on the balcony and then you've got everybody else on the stage. I think, why? It's our government. Yeah, and it's up to us to change it. I think you're fundamentally right. Like, and everything you say makes sense to me. It just kind of freaks me out a bit. <laughs> like the whole, and I think it is that bully. It's like, you know, the highest office, but it's almost like the the most significant bully, you know, place in the country. Like it, you know, watching television shows like Annabelle Crabbe's Misrepresented or the, I mean, the Julia Gillard, you know, program that was on the other week. I mean, that it's horrendous. It makes me feel sick to my absolute through my core to watch that stuff that that goes on in our country and the interesting thing as well I'd like to get a bit of a view on and whether this is the point about independent again like it might me not having that knowledge in depth but the interesting thing I found I wasn't a fan of Gillard at all when she was our prime minister I was so thrilled that we had a female prime minister but like she I wasn't a fan but I went to see her at a, um, a major event um, when she spoke you know, in front of 800 people, this was post her coming out of the party and and resigning and stuff. And she was amazing. And I sat there and went, holy crap, where was this person? Where was this person when you're in power? Fast forward again, then a couple of years later, same thing with Julie Bishop. I mean, she was, I've always found her amazing when she was, you know, quite outspoken and very different, but she copped a lot of, you know, criticism for lots of different reasons as well. But equally on the stage, she got up there and it was her it wasn't about the political party. She was her speaking and she was hilarious, like so articulate, so entertaining and the stories that she shared. But again, the messages that she got across to your point, she was inspirational as a political speaker. Third person recently on Q&A, Turnbull. Again, like this person, like where are these people? They're like post their political careers. They've It's like they've found their voice again and they are amazing orators make so much sense in, in you know in terms of incredible leaders what is it about the gagging that occurs when you're in power or you're in the seat and again is that back to the party stuff what's going to you know help you not have to conform to that yeah look and I've not been to Canberra yet so I've not been a politician so I, a bit like you I can only observe it from the outside and I keep coming back to the point that you just made like as an independent my voice will always be my own. Like the vote I make, I have to stand behind. And the people I'm answerable to would be the people of my electorate. If the people of North Sydney don't agree with that, they can call me out on it. 
And all three of those people, I would agree with you, when you actually meet them as individuals and talk to them, and even as I just said earlier, our sitting member is a nice guy. You know, like when I talk to him, I don't feel like our values aren't actually quite often aligned. But when you put that party politic framework around it, it becomes about power and not the people. And, you know, I did say to someone asked me only two or three days ago, so there's always then, there's always this talk of, well, independents can't really do anything because they can't move on mass you know like that's why parties came about was to create you know power blocks that's why a political party exists my answer to that person was actually the days of political party power have actually overrun the political system and in fact when you look at the debates that are happening at our international at our national level of federal government 99.9% of them are being driven by independents because independents are the only ones who have the freedom to walk into that room and go this is what's keeping my electorate awake at night this is what I want you to answer to whereas if I was a party if I was in a party I'd have to take that conversation to a party room and I'd get to stand up in the room and go this is what the people of North Sydney are really worried about and then Barnaby Joyce, if I was on that party, would stand up and go, oh, well, you need to sit down because i got a big hole and I want my hole to get bigger. And then he would probably say something about, and you and your latte sipping mates are not going to set energy policy in this country. And then I'd have to sit down. The conversation would never make it out of the party room. And I think that's the difference, you know. And, and so when this person asked me what my ambition was for politics, because they said that we will never have an independent PM, like why are you going into this? You can never be the prime minister. And I just looked them straight in the eyeball and said, why not? Like it, the reason the parties get to decide who the prime minister is is because they win the most seats. How interesting would it be if it was actually a group of independents who won the most seats? And that is completely conceivable. If every electorate turned around and went, we are done with this system. We are done, done, done. We are done with, you know, money buying me a seat at the table. We are done with um, lobby group influence at the high level. We want our government to be about us. So we are all going to put in an independent. That entire dynamic in Canberra could change overnight. So there are 35 other seats across this country at the moment that are looking to run independence at the next federal election. So at the moment for um, a party to be deemed, you know, the dominant party, the leading party, they need over 75 seats, I think it is. So if you suddenly end up in a situation where either of those parties are put into a minority position, the actual people who gain a lot more control over the policy positioning is what they call the crossbench, which is independents who sit there in between these two parties. And in, in that context, the more independence you have in there, the less power you're giving to a political bloc and the more power you're giving to the communities that they represent. Well, there you go. See, that's just put a cat amongst the pigeons to make us think even more about our vote and how important it is. And um, I commend you, you know, as a mate of mine, like I, I really, I'm so proud of you to put yourself forward like this. I know it's, you know, already a bit of a ride in the third or fourth week in, but um, it's amazing. And what an incredible experience to have and go through. But I, um, I suspect you're going to go far, my dear. I don't know where this will go. And I actually think it's the one thing I would leave this interview on would be, Kathy McGowan, who was one of the first female independents down 
in Victoria, she rang me very early on after the launch and she knew I'd done the interview with the Sydney Morning Herald and she said, how did it go? And I was like, look, let's just say there's no such thing as bad publicity because I had no idea how that story was going to go. And I actually said to her, look, if I messed it up, you know, if I failed, it's okay, it's early in the campaign. And Kathy just went to me, she said, stop, Kylie, that is the first and last time I ever want you to use that word. And I was like, well, what do you mean? You know, it's all about if this is about getting to camera, she said, no, it's not. She said, you have won today. Every day you stand up and call this out or provide people with another option or encourage people to just hear their own voice and listen to their own heart, you have won. So I don't know if I'll get to Canberra. I, I do know, as you and I talked about a little bit as we we're getting ready, uh, it is really interesting for me at the moment. As, as a business person, a campaigner, I am finding it fascinating to watch how this machine that is called politics works around me. I do feel like I'm sort of on the edge of it because I am an independent, so I'm kind of prodding it and poking it and, you know, probably yeah, metaphorically sticking my tongue out at it every now and then to get a rise out of it. For me, this is probably the first time in a really long time that I'm as much about the process as I am about the outcome. And I would hope that even me going through this process sends a message to other friends and my family and my kids that this is worthwhile. You know, give it a go. If it's even something you would even remotely consider, find people who think like you and, and give it a red hot run. Because I do think as a nation we have an opportunity in this next decade to really grow into ourselves and become who we want to be. And that is a nation that has 60,000 years of history, not just 200 plus. It's a nation that has equal numbers of men and women. It's a nation that has people from a really diverse and vibrant cultural background. Isn't it time our government actually looked like that nation? rather than this stale grey suit kind of community that is still living down there. So, yeah, this 1950s housewife <laughs> didn't take her aspirin. She's going to get on, um, you know, get in the car and, and shake try. the shit yeah, out of shake them. Shake it out. <laughs> I love it. And I think, you know, just such a beautiful way to, to finish this conversation. As I said, you and I could talk for hours. And I always learn so much when I talk to you as well. So I really appreciate the way that you, you know, really explain things so beautifully. So this has been my first exciting fabulous conversation about politics I think I've had in my life. But I just want to say, you know, I had a, a chat with a dear friend recently and she said one point that just hit me straight to the heart and it's around uh, the world doesn't change when good people sit idle. And I think that's what you're doing. You know, to your point, you're a, now uh, a role model, like you've always been a role model to your kids, but, you know, to so many other people that you are standing for change because you've had enough of it. And whereas like me, I get feisty and cranky and, you know, whatever. And I've changed a lot in business, but it's such a, um, such an amazing thing. So uh, Kylie, I wish you all the very best in your campaign as you move forward. Vote Kylie Tink if you're in, uh, in the North Sydney electorate for sure, because um, we know, you know, you've got a track record of bringing significant change in everything you do and making a phenomenal difference to the world. So for that, I thank you. Oh, thank you, Michelle. I really appreciate it. And just, I haven't given up on you yet. There's uh, three years till the next election. <laughs> You'll let me get through in my pottery and stuff and then we'll see where we're at. But <laughs> All right. I'll see you soon, sweetheart. Thanks. Thank you. Lovely to chat. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, 
you'll find all the show notes and interesting links on our website, wabisabiseries.com. If you'd like to hear more unexpected conversations, please subscribe to the series, follow us on our socials, or grab one of my books. And if you're in a generous mood, I'd love you to share the episode, or maybe even rate, review, and comment on the series. It really does make a difference. Until next time, be sure to claim your own piece of wabi-sabi and walk proud in your perfect imperfection.